Welcome to Geared for Growth. I'm your host, Mike Mortlock, and welcome to this special bonus series of the Geared for Growth Property Investing Podcast, where we're looking at the property investing journey from start to finish. We're up to now, I guess, the section where we've figured out how to get some money to buy something, and we're asking the question, what do you buy? What should you buy? We've actually got a four-part series here where we've got four guests with different ideas and opinions here, and to kick us off for what should you buy is Veronica Morgan. She's obviously been a guest on the show before. She's an industry expert, and we're going to talk to her about what she thinks you should buy as a property investor and talk to her as well about some of the common real estate cliches like the worst house in the best street and all those sorts of things. Here's Veronica. Veronica Morgan, thank you for coming back to join me on Geared for Growth. Oh, it's always my pleasure, Mike. We'll see. We'll see by the end of this because I I do actually have you slated for another one in this series of buying an investment property from start to finish. So we've done all of the saving for a deposit and creating a property plan. Now we're up to that. Maybe it's the exciting part. What do we buy? And I thought a good way to, to maybe frame this discussion is to talk about some of these real estate cliches. Um, do you want to rattle off some of your favourites? Oh, there's so many of them. Um, I've sort of got them in a slight order. That they, they flow nicely. One flows into the other. Even better. They're all equally useless. <laughs> so here we go. <laughs> Worst house. Best street. That's what you need to do. All good investors know you just buy the worst house and the best street. The problem is often the worst house is the worst house for a reason. Like it, it might be worse just because it needs a renovation. You could turn it into the best house and maybe that's a good one to buy. But if it's the worst because it's at the end of the street and it's on a triangular block and nobody wants to buy a triangular block, well, it's the worst house and it will always be a worst house. If it's the worst house because on the low side of the street and it floods whenever there's torrential rain, mm, it's never going to be a good house on the best street. doesn't yep. matter how good the street is, always going to be a bad house. So you can even extend that principle to – you know, the worst street in the best suburb. You go, well, if you're going to buy the worst house in the best street, you might as well buy on the worst street in the best suburb. And so I go, great, well, I'm going to buy on a highway because it's in Balmain, you know, or I'm going to buy on a highway because it's in Turak or I'm going to buy a highway because it's in Cook's Hill, you know, for your Newcastle listeners. And and you go, it doesn't. Just because it's a in a on a crap, it, just because it's in a great suburb does not make it a great asset. And likewise, just because it's a great street, it does not make it a great asset. So I think people have got to understand location is very very important, which probably leads to another cliche. Um, yeah. You know, location, location, location. Yeah, but you if you don't know how to pick a good asset in that location, then honestly, the location on its own is not enough to give you a good return on your investment. Is it rooted in something that that is kind of immutable, like buy the best area that you can afford? Look, it it is rooted in some level of truth, which is probably where the problem comes from because, yes, location is very important. You need to buy in a good location that's underpinned by foundations and the foundations are things like incomes, employment opportunities, you know, lifestyle, proximity to, uh, you know, major hubs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? So a good location mm-hmm. is a starting point. Um, and But the problem is a lot of people think it's the starting and the end point and it is definitely a long way from the end point. So that's that's mm. sort of my point, if you like, with this. But another cliche, rising tide lifts all ships. 
And it's along the same lines. It's it's like, oh, well, if I buy in an A-grade suburb, then it doesn't really matter what I buy because basically they'll all go up at the same rate. Well, they don't. And I've done case study after case study after case study. I was just about to say, that study. sounds all good, all right, but then you're saying, <laughs> oh, no, that's no, not No, no, it doesn't. And so people, you know, they think that these people that believe that location is all that counts, they don't dig deeper. They don't understand granular uh, information and detail, which is absolutely essential to making good investment decisions. So the rising tide lifts all ships is, is just not true. Not everything does not go up at the same rate in every suburb, right? So, and that's why you have a median because that's the midpoint. 50% goes up at a higher rate and 50%, you know, goes up at a lower rate or down, however, whichever direction prices are going. And so, you know, but it's one of those things. You you hear a lot of property spruikers saying a rising tide lifts all ships and all that sort of palaver. It's garbage. Yeah. Well, you've smashed some of my (laughs) long-held... (laughs) <laughs> notions of property so far let's let's keep going let's rip the band-aid right off uh-huh he's how about this one time in the market versus timing the market so you know this is the whole idea that look real estate is a long game agreed not going to disagree with that so therefore all you have to do is be in it long enough and you'll do well it doesn't matter when you buy now the reality is in principle i agree with this but the problem is if you buy a bad asset the longer you hold that the worse off you are you know Mm. the gap between you and good assets gets bigger and bigger over time the wonderful nature of compounding works against you in property investing if you manage to buy a dud so so this whole idea about time in the in the market versus timing the market you know it's it's uh it's a bit of a con it's a bit of a trap for people who you know who fear realizing a loss or fear facing up to opportunity cost and it actually can cover a multitude of errors uh in property investing because you think oh i'll just leave it long enough to do its job but if it's not doing its job you don't actually notice until you go to sell it and yes. even then, not enough property investors do compare the actual performance of their investment against what else they could have spent their money on. So mm. it's a real big danger, um, that whole idea of just relying on it being a long-term investment and, and you know, that whole set and forget thing. So th- these are important things to understand if you if you are buying an investment property. Uh, and in terms of timing the market, that's T I M I N G. Well, that's a mugs game, you know. Like I've, I'm an expert, yeah. and I, and I've managed to to get it perfect at some times, and other times not so perfect because the market is bigger than all of us. You know, not not one of us can control the market or predict it um, effectively. So it really does come down to you know understanding really what a quality asset is and knowing you know to buying it when you're ready to buy it. I think those are all fantastic points, by the way, but I think I like this one more than the others, or at least it's a close. It's the closest to good sound advice because, you know, trying to hotspot is a mugs game. Mm. Like, yeah, if you are that clever that you can pick the mining towns that boom 400%, you know, good luck to you, but the best and brightest people that I've spoken to say that they can't. So you, you, <laughs> you're in rarefied air. And, and, and I like the idea that it's kind of prepping people for real estate being a long-term gain, right? But you've also got to understand that you can't just – 
hold something forever and eventually you'll get that growth that, that you're looking for. So, so that's sort of the downside of this, do you think? Yeah, it, it's, it is a long-term game and in trying to time the market and trying to, you know, hotspot is a mugs game. And the problem is with a lot of people hotspotting and there's a lot of spookers out there that, that really push this idea uh, is that they'll help you, if you're their client, get into the market or if, you try, or if they're trying to offload whatever stock they've got. They'll help you get into the market at a time when it's rising and typically people get in too late anyway and the best gains were made early on and then they fail to advise when's the time to bail you know <laughs> and yep. mining towns are a classic example of that so so that timing yeah it's a mugs game so but yeah if you don't you, you've got to have a long-term focus but you've also got to understand if you can't select a good asset you don't understand what a good asset is you're really playing it's luck you're relying on luck. And then if you don't measure that performance uh, and understand how to how to measure it, then, you know, once again, you're just relying on hope. And, and a lot of people will say to me, I've done really well in property, and I always say, look, how have you measured that? And they might cite some sort of gain or they've had valuation and they've made this much money. I said, over what period of time? You know, yeah. very, very few people actually will give me all the details required to actually properly measure whether it's been a good uh, choice or not, you know, a, a good yeah. investment choice or not. So. Yeah, so it's it's close to the truth, but it leaves out a massive gap, and that is asset selection. Another one, though, is land is where the value is. So you would love this because, yeah. of course, what land appreciates and buildings depreciate, which is absolutely yeah. true. However, it only works really if land is actually valuable. So there's plenty of land that's not very valuable in Australia. Um, and, you know, you've got to be buying property on land that is valuable. So that's why, you know, property, little tiny workers' cottages on tiny blocks of land in the, in very close to the city, you know, in, in inner Sydney or inner Melbourne, for instance, that's why they're so ridiculously valuable, you know, a dollar per square metre because there's scarcity, there's there's a type of property that's on them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, that land is highly valuable, whereas if you go out to the edges of our capital cities where there's just, you know, endless uh, land available for subdivisions, that land is not as valuable, certainly not as scarce, and, you know, and it's, and it's in plentiful supply. So, so that whole idea of understanding the value of the land first before you work out whether land is where the value is, if that makes sense. Because if you follow that logic, you'll say, oh, well, a unit is a bad investment. Well, there are plenty of examples where units are terrible investments, but there are also lots of examples where units are very good investments because mm -hmm. they're in small buildings, they're well located, they're in areas where uh, apartments are scarce, they're in areas where land is, is valuable. So once again, it's that understanding of different land in different locations, so it comes back to location, but also different types of buildings are more valuable than others as well because, you know, a, a federation house in an area, where, in a conservation area, is highly valuable, uh, probably more so than a, than a you know, a modern building that, that's got full depreciation, that's just been built yesterday and it's got full depreciation, you know. Yeah, that, yeah. You know, so this is that these cliches, they fail to understand the nuances and it's really understanding the nuances is where the great value is in property investing. Yeah, but a journalist has got to come up with a headline, right? So I mean, the nuances aren't going to fit and then I suppose they're thinking, well, it's our job to sort of really tease apart the details, but but they, they stick in our heads, these things, don't they? Well, that's exactly right. <laughs> it's, um, 
usually my arguments are not well received by a lot of journalists because I, I take too long to get to the point, I think. It's like, well, no, it can't be simplified. <laughs> can't yeah. be simplified like that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but anyway, that's what sells papers. Yeah, exactly. Any other favourites? Uh, rent should cover the mortgage. Well, so, I, ideally, yeah, I can't see an issue uh, with that. Yeah, and so over the years, when I've when I've dealt with people who've come along to my business, my buyers agency business, that is, and they've said, look, you know, I want to buy an investment, and I'll start asking them questions about their 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 aspirations and goals and their plans, etc., 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 and then they'll often throw in, oh, I just want to make sure the rent covers a mortgage, and I'm like, well, okay, this is going to be interesting, so. How is that going to happen? Yeah. Have you got a fifty percent deposit? <laughs> you know, because it all depends on yeah. interest rates and how much you're you're borrowing. It's, there's so many variables other than the actual rental that you income that you receive that uh, that need to be taken into account. But what a lot of people aren't realizing there is that high yield or high rents generally comes with high risk. And mm. and I just think that, and I'm a rare property person, that I think that if you're going to take high risk with property, then, well, that's fine if you have a lot of um, money behind you and a, a lot of other assets behind you and you can afford to take a risk. But I think a lot of people take risks with property and they've got no idea that they are taking such risks. And because they are blind to the risks, they, they somehow believe that all property goes up in value, which is not true. They somehow believe that you can't lose in property and even if the property value goes down, you can drive past it so it's not like it vanishes, like potentially a company might vanish uh, on the share market. Um you know, there's all these sort of misnomers around the concrete nature of property, the tangible nature of it, and what people are failing to understand is how risky property is. And so mm. when you look at ways in which you make yourself feel better, it feels less risky if the rent's covering the mortgage. However, you might be taking on a hell of a lot more risk because you're actually bought an asset that doesn't go up in value and you're not going to get rich on an extra 50 bucks a week rent um, mm. a week, you know, or or they're, they're trying to contain their risk by borrowing a very small amount of money because they feel that the, the risk is in the borrowing versus the asset, you know, and instead of actually bar borrowing the appropriate amount of money and buying a good quality asset. So there's all these ways that we approach this idea of the rent should cover the mortgage that are very, very dangerous and can lead us down a path of buying you know, poor quality assets that don't actually do the job of what, why we invest in property in the first place, which is actually to give us financial freedom in the future. Yeah, and that's that's a really erudite point because you know a negatively geared property might be very serviceable by that person, and that's going to grow at double the rate of something that's neutral, right? Or is giving them fifty bucks a week. So you've got to understand your your strategy, but. You know, as a as a buyer's agent, I'm sure a lot of people come to you with these cliches. Have you got any sort of things that stick out in the memory, you know, similar to that where people have got this this journalist headline of like, this is the fundamental. If we only follow this, like, we'll be okay? <laughs> I think we'll cover most of them. But do you know, if I give you some cliches that agents, that agents say that just crack me up, some of these, mm. you know, they will say things like, it's a great investment. And I'm like, really, how are you qualified to actually say that? Most agents have got no idea what a good investment is. 
So, yeah. so I think that a lot of buyers are going out there and, and agents are very good at, at um, avoiding telling you negative things about a property because they don't have mm. to unless it's material fact. They're very good at, um, you know, objection handling. They're very good at coming up with positive angles to or aspects to, to negatives that they know they're going to be, you know, objections are going to be given by buyers. And there are more objections given to agents about property by buyers in a slow market than there are in a hot market. And so yeah. at the moment, buyers, you know, critical thinking seems to have flown out the window. But, um, but you know, so the agent that says that's a good investment, you know, you just got to have to look at them and say, can you just clarify for me, please, what your qualifications are in yeah. being able to say that? And auctioneers say it too. They get up there and say this stuff. They are not qualified to be able to even say it. And normally yeah. they've got no idea what they're even talking about. They just think, you know, all property goes up, remember, rising tide lifts all ships. And that's yeah. what a lot of sales agents <laughs> believe. And I used to years ago when I was one. Yeah, that that's interesting, isn't it? Because they'll say, you know, it's a great investment. I think because they think it's likely that an investor will buy it. There's not much more in it. Or they'll go, you know, like it's 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 five hundred grand and it's renting for five hundred a week. Mm. So that's a great investment, right? Well, n- I mean, no, that's just kind of like a great match on a five percent yield. It doesn't mean that over yeah. time it's going to go up in value. Like mm. that's not enough to call it a a great investment. So in in Keeping those cliches in mind, we are up to that sort of point in the process where it's that exciting bit where we're thinking about buying something. What, what are your what are your top tips for people to navigate this kind of emotional part of the investing journey, even though we're told that it shouldn't be emotional at all? Oh, well, it is emotional. I think that's probably my top tip. Just recognise it. Um, but actually, I've got to hit you with one more cliche before we hit that. Oh, please. Spruikers, for the price of a cup of coffee, our day, you too could be a property investor. <laughs> you hear <laughs> yeah. anybody say that? Run, run for the hills. Uh, dear. So my three takeaways, I guess, you know, there's lots of takeaways. You get me started and, and you know, I'm like the Duracell bunny. I keep going on and on <laughs> and on. Uh, but I'll give you three good ones. And, and one is it's unusual to hear a buyer's agent say this, but you can lose money in property. And I think it's very important that people do understand. I talk about risks. Uh, let's quantify those risks just for a minute. Uh, one of my favourite reports is the CoreLogic's Pain and Gain report. It comes out every quarter and it actually documents how many people lost money on purely on sale price versus purchase price uh, in the previous quarter. Now, this is it runs at plus or minus 10%, like 10% plus or minus 1% basically. It runs through hot markets and slow markets. Um, of Australian property sold any given quarter sells at a loss, right? So that's that's a nominal loss. That's not including um, stamp duty. That's not including holding costs. That's not including any other purchasing costs. That's not including renovations. That's not including opportunity costs. And that's not including all the properties that if they were sold today would be sold at a loss. Yeah, so, that's like pain plus GST. There's yeah. a lot more pain. There's a hell of a lot more. So, you know, even if we just add in, I mean, look, the reality is there's no accurate way to calculate exactly how much property is owned by people currently in this country that if they had to sell would sell at a loss, but I can guarantee it's more than 10%. And that's pretty significant. So that's the first thing. So if you have some respect that not all property goes up in value, not all property makes a good investment, then you're immediately going to start questioning things and looking deeper. And that's what you need to do in order to make good decisions. So 
the next thing I would say is how do you, when's the right time to buy? So we're talking about what should you buy and, and but when should mm-hmm. you buy? And obviously in a hot market as it is pretty much right around the country at the moment, there are people saying, oh, I'm going to wait, I'm going to wait for things to calm down. Now, that might pay off, but odds are that it's not going to. And so the fact is that the, a, a boom will run for a period of time before it comes off the boil. And, yeah, sure, it will come off the boil, but will it come off the boil to the point where you're sitting right now? So the reality is that the best time to buy is when you are ready and when you've found the right property. And so even if you pay slight overs, and I'll get to my, my third tip in a minute, even if you pay slight overs for an investment property or even your home, if it's an A-grade asset and ultimately will do better over time, it actually doesn't matter if you pay a little bit more than it's technically worth now yeah. um, because you then have secured a scarce asset. And that's really where the focus needs to be, buying the right asset when you're ready, not trying to time the market or trying to avoid avoid a competitive market. Um, but the other part of fighting for stock, as people are at the moment, and we do it too, it's not a fun market at the minute, is that if you're going to have to pay premium for property, make sure it's a bloody good one. So what's happening at the moment, people, are, they've lost their ability to think critically and they think that the market is always like this. It's that recency bias. We're all fall for it. And so yeah. when you're out and about looking at property now, you've got to remember it's not always like this. There will be properties that sell for more money now that buyers will not touch in a slow market and, you know, think main roads, but also think think property that actually, uh, you know, there's improvements have been made, for instance, that there's no approvals for. People are overlooking the sort of basic due diligence that they would never in a million years overlook in a normal market. And these mm. are the things that I would say in a hot market, yes, yeah, sure, buy when, the, you know, you're ready, buy when you find the right property. Do not cut corners in your due diligence. Do not get caught up in FOMO and pay premium, sure, for the right property, but don't pay a premium for garbage because at the moment that's really what typifies a hot market is when people are paying overs for everything. That is an extremely good dose of the medicine that we need, I think, especially in in, in the hot markets. I, I love the tips, um, Veronica, and I just want to mention that you, of course, were a previous guest on the Gear for Growth podcast, and that was a longer form where we got to know a little bit more about you. You were episode, I can't remember. I should have researched this earlier. <laughs> Long time um, ago. <laughs> if, you go, yeah, if you go to gearforgrowth.com.au and search Veronica, she'll pop up. Um, also, check out the uh, Elephant in the Room podcast, which I think I mentioned before is is like this podcast except better um one thing i wanted to to point to people uh, you, you you sort of mentioned the pain and gain report we've just come up with a rental loss in uh, index that's come up um it comes up with uh vacancy losses on average per investor in certain areas i'll send you that Ooh, that sounds yeah. like it'll fit with your sort of dark yes um, <laughs> interest in in property um and I, I wanted to highlight on our website as well, if you go to mcgqs.com.au and about MCG, there's our 1,000 Assets Report, which is actually a, a five-year study into what investors are buying. So you can see what people are buying, but just remember that's not necessarily what you should be buying and what you should <laughs> be buying um, we've talked about today. So um, that, that, that's been some, some gold um, and we've jammed a lot into a short space. So thank you very much for, for joining me again, Veronica. 
My pleasure. I think I need to do another episode with you to compare what what people are buying versus what they should be buying. <laughs> That's fine. We will. Uh, let's lock it in. Let's do it as a as a live. Sounds good. Thanks for having <laughs> Cheers. me. Cheers. See you.